Welcome to this edition of Development Matters, the London International Development Centre podcast series. I'm Anjuli Borgonia, Communications Officer at the LIDC. These podcasts look at interdisciplinary approaches to international development issues, and today I've gathered people around the microphone to discuss disability in development and how we can ensure that the needs of people with disabilities are met in global development. We are going to be exploring the relationship between poverty and disability, the issues faced by disabled people in the Global South, and discussing why including disability in development goals and processes is important, and finally, how best to do so. In the studio with me, I have Dr. Margot Greenwood, who is leading full-time educational and social inclusion research at the international NGO Sightsavers, which is an international charity fighting preventable blindness, and Professor Hannah Cooper, Director of the International Centre for Evidence in Disability at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And that centre aims to provide evidence to improve the health and well-being of people with disabilities globally. Margot, Hannah, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Hi. Let's start by clarifying what we mean by disability. So are we referring to mental and physical conditions? So it's quite a complex issue to think about disability. So definitely underlying there'll be a mental or a physical condition. But that in and of itself is not enough. Um, to label somebody as having a disability. What really matters is whether people can do the things that they want to do or have the legal right to do, like going to school, having a job, being able to socially participate. So people with disabilities may find it difficult to be included in those ways, and that will be partly because of the underlying mental and physical conditions, but also will depend on whether society is enabling them to be included. So, for instance, whether there are ramps, whether there are policies in place to protect people, and whether people can have um, the right kind of training or assistance to be able to participate. I also really like... um the World Health Organization's definition in that they they talk about disabilities as an umbrella term. So it's covering impairments, as Hannah said, um, activity limitations and participation restrictions. So an impairment is a problem in bodily body function or structure. An activity limitation is a, a difficulty encountered by somebody uh, with a task or action and a participation restriction is a problem experienced by someone in life situations. So yes, this complex uh, umbrella uh, is an interaction between the features of a person's body and being and features of the society in which he or she is living. So for instance, somebody may have a visual impairment and you can measure that by seeing how much on a reading chart they can see or not and that affects their ability potentially to see and move around which may stop people being able to drive or go to school and what clinicians will often look at is whether or not there is that impairment there but the way people will talk about in their own lives is whether they can see well enough to recognise their friends across the road or to be able to drive and so that participation is really the element that's important to people themselves. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, And Hannah, I'd like to ask you, why is it important that people with disabilities are included in development efforts? I mean, what benefits are there for developing countries who focus on improving the lives of those with disabilities, be they economic, social? Okay. So disability is a very large group of people. 
sorry, there's a very large group of people who have disabilities. So it's about a billion people worldwide or one in seven people. So these people with disabilities are more likely to be poor, they're more likely to be excluded from education, um, employment and so on. So if you look at something like the Sustainable Development Goals, it'll be very difficult to achieve them if we don't specifically try to include people with disabilities because they're a large group and they're more likely to fall behind in those goals. So then if we think about what does it mean to include people with disabilities in development programs, there's two kinds of ways you can approach it. The one is to make sure that your programs are inclusive of people with disabilities. So if you have a poverty alleviation program or a feeding program, that people with disabilities can also access those. And the other is to specifically target people with disabilities with programs. So if we think about the first thing about making programs inclusive people with disabilities, it's often about trying to reach people um, in more marginalised situations, trying to provide their um, communication in lots of different ways and to try and be adaptable to people with different needs. And actually that generally makes programs better for everybody, not just for the people with disabilities. So that's the whole kind of development side of things so that we are likely to meet development goals without including people with disabilities. And there's quite a lot of evidence that including people with disabilities is cost effective, that actually um, money that you put into programs to make them inclusive, you then recoup by extra economic benefits. There's also another argument about why it's really important to include people with disabilities in development efforts, and that's a rights-based argument. So people with disability have the right to inclusion in education, employment, and so on, and that not including them in those development efforts is then a violation of their inherent rights. Thank you. Uh, and Margot, thinking about the link between disability and inequality, is there a link between disability and poverty? And what effects can having a disability have on a person's life and opportunities in developing countries? There is a link between disability and poverty, yes. Um, there's robust evidence that shows a positive, um, significant association between disability and economic poverty. And this relationship has been found across age groups, location, disability types and various study designs. And in terms of the effects on a person's life and opportunities in developing countries, we know that disability accentuates poverty because the barriers that people with disability encounter in their daily lives, such as practical access, attitudinal barriers, result in their social exclusion and not being able to participate in society. We also know that it leads to discrimination, um, social marginalisation, isolation, not enough access to education, housing, uh, nutritious food, clean water, sanitation, healthcare, and not being able to properly participate in legal and political processes not being meaningfully included when it comes to work. And then on top of this, it works both ways. So poverty increases the likelihood of disability. And chronically poor people who are often at risk of being ill or injured may lead to disability. So those in poverty who become disabled are likely to know even more poverty. And, and so it spirals. Hannah, in the International Centre for Evidence in Disabilities' recent findings, 
One of the main issues facing people with disabilities in low and middle income countries is difficulties accessing health and rehabilitation services. And even in areas where there is access, uptake on referrals seems to be low. Why is this and how can interventions increase uptake and overcome the barriers preventing access to services? So it's quite interesting to look um, at the question of access to health and rehabilitation among people with disabilities and it can also teach us about access to other life domains like education or employment. So one thing to think about is that in poor settings everyone mostly has difficulties accessing health and rehabilitation services. So often the services aren't available or they're far away um, or expensive. And then what happens with people with disabilities is that there are additional difficulties layered on top of that those existing problems in accessing healthcare. So it can be often things about transport, that it's difficult for people to access transport and go to the services. It may be um, that there are additional costs. So what you find is that people with disabilities spend a lot more money on accessing healthcare but compared to people without disabilities. And it might also be that once they get to the health service, they cannot have the same quality of examination as people without disabilities, perhaps because the healthcare provider doesn't um, cannot communicate with people with intellectual hearing impairments or because the services or the toilets in the services aren't physically accessible. So there are lots of different issues um, facing people with disabilities in access. And these things don't happen in isolation. So Margot just talked about the poverty that people with disabilities are more likely to experience, and that also can impact on access to health. So let's say you don't work as a person with a disability and therefore don't have access to health insurance or have less money, and that will make it more difficult to access healthcare services. Or if you're a child with a disability who doesn't go to school, you'd miss out on those kind of school-based programs. So in terms of interventions, it's a really good question and actually there's very little evidence about what works and what doesn't work. So we know what the main barriers are so we can do different kinds of things to try and overcome them, to um, have outreach of services and to make sure that the services can meet the needs of people with disabilities and provide a quality service. But I think underlying it is to try and address the multidimensional exclusions that people with disabilities face. So just tackling health and is not enough, you also need to look at education, employment and wider participation. But I think this is an area where lots more evidence is needed and it's something that we've been really interested in working on over the last couple of years. I really agree that it's it's all linked and it's important to look at disability holistically to zoom out and and see that bigger, that wider picture. That's interesting. Um, And Margot, following on from that, you're currently involved in several research projects on education and school inclusion for children with disabilities and also look at gender and disability in the global south. How differently are the lives of men, women, children, adults and the elderly with a disability affected? And what are the main issues faced when trying to respond to different needs and challenges? That's a great question. it's a big question, so I'll, I'll pick a few things. For example, uh, women and girls with disabilities face both gender and disability inequality um, in their context. And so there can be this double discrimination. In terms of children, uh, findings on, a, on 13 low- and middle-income countries shows that 
that children with disabilities between around 6 and 17 are significantly less likely to be enrolled in school than their peers without disabilities. And in a study of 51 countries, it shows that fewer boys and girls with disabilities complete primary school than their non-disabled peers. And in terms of lived experiences, people with disabilities and and older people um, have shared lots of stories of um, multiple illnesses sometimes causing and exacerbating each other, Um, transport issues, exclusion from social and religious activities that, that can be common not just due to physical impairment but also due to others' attitudes. Um, but also, there have been one-off st- positive stories of community support and um, organisational support. Um, there have been complexities surrounding domestic abuse that have, have emerged in studies. And specifically in Tanzania, there can be extreme persecution of, of people with albinism whose body parts are considered to be lucky, um, especially around election times. They're in, they're in more danger. Older people have expressed experiencing neglect and families and spouses um, have, have had relationship breakdowns specifically related to attitudes towards people with, with disabilities. In terms of challenges, one key challenge is that there's very little information available to inform a, a gendered perspective of disability. Um, so organisations that are committed to gender or disability equity but fail to consider both can unwittingly render disabled girls invisible because they aren't seen in the data. So just to echo what Margot says, I think what we've seen is stigma, a large amount of stigma experienced by people with disabilities, and that affects lots of different aspects of life, as Margot pointed out. And I think the other thing to remember is that people with disabilities aren't a homogenous group. So Margot's talked a little bit about age and men and women, but it's also important to flag that people with different impairment types will have different experiences of um, exclusion or stigma. Um, And it also matters at what age people develop their disability, if they've had it from a young age or develop it later on. And just following on from that, um, is there a kind of, is there a space for them to have their voices heard in many low and middle income countries or to participate in processes that may help better their situation? There are some disabled people's organisations that can help and promote equity. Um, that f- some of those focus specifically on um, political processes, for example. So DPOs are in country and and helping, but there is a lot more yet to be done, as I think Hannah will agree. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there are there is quite a strong disabled voice or voice of people with disabilities and DPOs, but it's often talking to people who've already bought into this as an issue and it's quite difficult to break outside of that disability silo. I'd also say Margot's being a bit modest because she's done quite a lot of work herself about how to include the voice of people with disabilities in research and that's a really important um, way of getting that information out. 
we are exploring community-based participatory research as a way of um, working with people with disabilities to participate in research so they become peer researchers they are a key part of gathering evidence through interviews and observations they are part of analyzing the data and then disseminating it in their context so there's a real sense of ownership over what's being discovered and then how that feeds into um, advocacy and policy work and finally just to ask at a, a kind of more global policy level in 2014 the international development select committee held their first inquiry into disability and development and at the time it was seen as a unique chance to investigate the links between disability and wider global development targets as well as open discussions into including disabled people in or people with disabilities into the work of DFID. Do you think we've progressed in the last three years in terms of achieving inclusivity of disabled people in development and addressing the links between disability and development goals? And what does the future hold for meeting the needs of those with disabilities in development work and how can future progress be achieved? So I'm going to take a slightly longer than a three-year horizon and say in the last kind of seven, compared to seven, ten years ago and now, disability is much more on the global agenda. And um, the DFID Select Committee was a very important part of that change. And I really congratulate everybody who was a part of that. My perspective is that there's now a lot talked about disability. There's a lot more awareness about the importance of disability, particularly within DFID. I haven't seen a lot of that being translated yet into positive action. And I'm hoping that that's what the next couple of years will hold. I agree. I think in reality, many nations have struggled to make decent progress when it comes to implementing the commitments put forward by the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So people with disabilities are still experiencing persistent inequalities socially, politically, culturally and economically compared to the rest of the population. What do we need to do? I think um, a key key point is to keep thinking in a critical way together. Um, We need research to show how much inclusion is happening on the ground and what that looks like. We need to make sure that any intervention or projects stems from what people with disabilities are needing and what they're calling for, that it's emerging from their voices. And we need to remain committed to making sure that no one is left behind. And I would just like to add that we're not talking small numbers. I mentioned earlier that there are about a billion people globally with disabilities, but disability is very much experienced at the household level. It's experienced by the whole family. And about one in five or 20% of households will include a person with a disability. And so this is a really big issue for development and something that really does need to move into action over the coming years. I think that's quite a profound point to end on. Thank you for listening to the Development Matters podcast and a big thank you to Margot and Hannah for sharing their thoughts and insights with us today. If you want to know more and listen to previous podcasts in the Development Matters series, please visit the London International Development Centre website at www.lidc.org.uk. Thank you.